This is Business Beyond Bizarre, a podcast of the slightly unusual. Here's your host, Peter Anthony Holder. Hello and welcome to Business Beyond Bizarre, a podcast that will take you off the beaten path. Introducing you to people who have slightly quirky hobbies or businesses. No one wants to get a case of crabs. Unless, of course, it's tasty. There is a distillery in New Hampshire making a new alcohol that will lift your spirits and also help the environment. Tamworth Distilling are the makers of Crab Trapper. It's a whiskey flavored with the invasive little environmental nightmares known as the green crab. Before we get to their delicious properties, just exactly why are they invasive and who invited them to our shores in the first place? It's been here for over 200 years. They're native to Europe. They hitchhiked over ballast uh, sailing ships as long as we had ships moving back and forth. The issue is that here in the on the on our coast, the estuaries used to freeze, and in freezing, they would kill a large number of these crabs every year. And so now, with global warming, we've kind of reached a point where we've had a number of years where the estuaries haven't frozen, and their numbers are starting to really, really boom and adversely impact some of our other fisheries in New England. Ah, yes, another example of the ravages of climate change. By the way, that was William Robinson, who is the product development associate with Tamworth Distilling. Now... More on these pesky little foreign green crustaceans. They evolved in a different ecosystem, one in Europe. When that happens with animals or plants, they're not natural kind of checks and balances built into the ecosystem. Whereas where they're indigenous, they would have natural predators or diseases or weather that would kind of help keep their numbers back. And, and that's not so much the case here. So they have no predators at all? I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot of animals that feed on them. One of the major uses of of them is as bait. A lot of the crabs spoken with, people that catch them specifically, they're actually shipping them out to use as bait in uh, on other parts of the East Coast. So no, they do have things that are definitely eating them. They've just, they're really doing well in the habitat here in Northern New England, particularly since the estuaries aren't freezing anymore. They're each capable of eating upwards of 40 small shellfish, whether that's scallops or oysters, every single day. All kinds of fisheries are feeling the impact. So it's an issue all over the place. Clearly, they have to go. So, now that we know what they are, how did William and the distillery company come up with the idea that they might be delicious? I was very familiar. I've been friends with the head distiller and the head chemist since they opened, really, almost a decade ago. I had done some flavor work with them in the past, and we have a line of products, House of Tamworth, that incorporate some animal flavorings into them. We have one that uses smoked venison. We have one that uses an entire turkey dinner, another that uses beaver castorium glands. We were looking for another wild animal-type ingredient. We're only about an hour and 15 minutes from the coast here. And my former career was as an environmental educator. So I was very, very familiar already with uh, issues of invasive species and initiatives to get people to eat them. Uh, for instance, the lionfish down in uh, the Key, the Asian carp in the Midwest. And I knew that there was a program with UNH that was doing something similar. And so it kind of seemed like a um, kind of a perfect storm of a story. I grew up in the deep South. I cooked for a living uh, for a long time. I was very familiar with cooking with seafood. And I, I knew that you could take something that 
might be considered off-putting. And given the right kind of spices, it, it gives it kind of a depth and complexity that it wouldn't have otherwise. Okay, so since we're talking about eating the crabs, why are they not an edible delicacy as opposed to a drinkable one? They're a delicacy in Venice, actually, and they farm them there. But we don't have as much information about consuming them here, so we decided to work with UNH. They had contacts, uh, you know, with people with the FDA and whatnot to talk us through, you know, making sure that this is all a viable food source. But that's part of their initiative is actually working with local restaurants and fishermen trying to create a market for these crabs for people to eat them. Their focus of study right now is predicting the molting patterns of these crabs so that they can create possibly a soft shell market for them, much in the way that there's a soft shell market for the blue crab. So, overall, will the distilling of these crabs make them less of a nuisance to the environs of New Hampshire? It's the story. I mean, like, honestly, I, I use about a thousand of them, about a hundred pounds per batch. I'm under no illusion that, that my numbers of, of use of the crab is going to do anything to really even put a dent in their population. However, the way this story has kind of caught on and gone viral, the awareness that it brings to the situation and the awareness that it brings to people that where you can see firsthand how global warming is negatively Im impacting our neighbors and, and fishermen that work on the coast, it's a direct impact from that. And it's kind of hard to argue against it. By now, you whiskey drinkers in the audience might be thinking, well, what goes into this process? I'll let you get your favorite writing implement so that you can jot down all the pertinent details. In the meantime, let's talk about the science. One of the interesting things about the distilling world, everything we do is science-based. However, there's so many variables and it ends up becoming based on taste, which is subjective, not really an objective measurement. It is kind of alchemy working with it. In our case, we are kind of a, an unusual distillery in that we use vacuum stills for kind of flavor extraction. Our head chemist and myself, we make hundreds of different types of botanical infusions, you know, using our neutral spirit, which is like a, the base spirit that you'd use for a gin or for a vodka that we produce. We make these infusions with different types of botanicals, and then we distill those on what's called a rotary evaporator. It's used mostly in the chemical industry or pharmaceutical industry as a way to remove solvents from some particular base that you're working with. In our case, we use ethanol as a solvent to liberate some of the aroma and flavor molecules that are in botanicals or in the case of the crab base. And then that carries it over and we're able to use those as a flavorant. So there's not a whole lot of, of uh, distilleries in the country using this technology right now. We've been using it a number of years, but it's still kind of a new thing for distilleries to use. With the crabs, we did essentially was a I began trying to figure out how what kind of flavoring I would end up with. I, I cleaned them, processed them, and cooked them much in the same way that you would if you were going to prepare them to eat. They're, they're a little small, so that's that's the issue with cleaning them for meat. It's kind of like a friend put it to me, like it's kind of like eating sunflower seeds, you know, a lot of work for just a little bit of meat. We use them to make a stock. I bring them to a slow simmer until they're thoroughly cooked, and then I remove the solids from the stock, allow that to cool, and then I fortify it with some of our ethanol, and then that's distilled. In turn, I take that distillate and I recombine it with some more crab base and then distill it a second time in order to kind of crush more of that flavor into the distillate. Okay, so now that you have all that scientific information, get your pen or pencils ready 
as we get to the flavor part. I wasn't sure originally which direction I was going to go. I'm very interested in Asian cooking, in particular Japanese cooking. So I thought, you know, there's a couple different directions we could go that way. But being that I'm from the deep south of the U.S., southeastern U.S., I decided to go with my roots and do it more like a crab boil or a seafood boil. So we have this 300-year history of seafood spice blends on the east coast of the U.S. that were used traditionally. I mean, we didn't have refrigeration. Seafood was a little bit sharper in the past than, than we're used to it these days. So they, they came up with these spice blends to kind of balance out the uh, sharpness, the harshness that seafood can have when we cook it. I came up with a blend of about eight different spices that work well with the bourbon base that I had. The bourbon had a lot of caramel, vanilla, kind of maple notes to it. And I used uh, the spices were mustard seed, dill seed, paprika, fresh bay leaf, allspice, clove, and cinnamon. Those essentially were put into a slurry made into the kind of a tea, fortified with some of our ethanol and then distilled to create kind of a, a, a distillate of that. And then the, the spice distillate, the crab distillate are then blended in with the bourbon to make our finished product. Whoa, it sounds like you're giving away your secrets here. I don't want to take too much information well, from you. <laughs> it's okay because it's, it, I mean, not a lot of people have access to this type of machinery. The vacuum still like I'm talking about and the measurements and whatnot, you know, you'd have to figure out on your own. Clearly, like Colonel Sanders, William left out a few things so that you can't replicate it. And that whole science part, too, that was another brick wall. But what about the taste? What does it actually taste like? And how does it compare to other whiskeys? It's definitely a flavored whiskey. The spice stands out. You notice the spice off the bat. The coriander and the bay, followed by the clove and cinnamon and allspice. You get that smell of those when you when you smell it. And the crab can be kind of hard for sometimes for people to notice. It's really amazing how the, the spices kind of wrap around it. But once you take a sip and you swallow or allow it to coat your tongue and you take another si uh, sniff of it or another taste of it, you'll definitely notice the crab. Um, the crab is kind of a buttery sort of thing that sits uh, right in the middle of the palate. And it's followed up. You get a lot of the, the clove and cinnamon towards the end along with a little bit of heat from those as well so some people have compared it to a briny fireball i'm not a big fan of that description but it, it does have some spice to it for more information about tamworth distilling and to find out how you might be able to get a bottle of their green crab flavored whiskey called crab trapper visit their website at tamworthdistilling.com you can do your part for the environment with a bottle or two because as their own motto goes, if you can't beat them, drink them. Or as William would say, the crabs you want, not the crabs you deserve. Business beyond bizarre. I love parody. I love satire. But the problem with these forms of humor is they sometimes attract the gullible. Since we just talked about marine life, let me use an inverse fishing analogy to make my point. When tuna boats drop their nets, they hope to catch a lot of tuna. But sadly, sometimes they might reel in a dolphin. Dolphins are highly intelligent creatures. Tuna, not so much. But sometimes, the intelligent dolphin gives up their life for the sake of the tuna. Using that analogy, let's invert the situation. Parody and satire are the fishing nets. It's there to trap the intelligent people to regale us with mirth and laughter. But sadly, it also traps the not-so-bright, which can sometimes kill the humor. I share this story 
because it reminds me of the website called Rent-A-Hitman. It's been around for years. It's brought plenty of laughs. It has also attracted the gullible who want to actually hire a hitman. The site was first put up in 2005 by Bob Innes, who on the site goes by the name of Guido Finelli. It was originally put up to publicize an IT company, but that didn't pan out. In February of 2005, that's when I registered the domain for a IT startup. Business plans didn't exactly take shape, so I put the uh, domain on kind of a hold. I put it up for sale. I put a splash page that said this domain is for sale, and I had it on an auction site. I was just going to dump the domain. Nobody seemed really interested in rentahitman.com at the time, so I was a little disappointed I, I was going to at least get the opportunity to flip it. About two and a half, three years later, I go in and check the uh, catch-all inbox that I had set up on the website, and I was just shocked at the number of uh, unsolicited emails that I had received from people around the world seeking services, such as asset extraction, or how much for this, or do you service these countries, are you hiring? It just really was something that uh, I wasn't prepared for. It's the are you hiring phrase that really kills me. Oh, perhaps I shouldn't use that term here. Anyway, it was about this time that Guido decided to have a little fun. But he wanted to make sure that there were enough signs that this was a parody. There's a couple of different little red flags or Easter eggs you might see on the website. It was my idea or my way of letting law enforcement know, hey, this is kind of a joke. First of all, the website does have its own HIPAA disclaimer. In case you're wondering, HIPAA, H-I-P-A-A, stands for Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. That's the U.S. federal law that requires the creation of national standards to protect sensitive patient health information from being disclosed without the patient's consent or knowledge. However, no one on this site is in the medical field. The HIPAA for my website is the Hitman Information Privacy and Protection Act of 1964. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, it, it, there is no act. There is no HIPAA act. Secondly, the website uh, has a banner ad that says, has your credit card number been stolen on the internet? Check it here. Well, if you click on that banner, it opens up a new browser window to the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center. So, I mean, those are just two of the little quirky things on the website that would kind of tip people off. Again, the people that are tipped off, that's the tuna. Those that are not, Dolphin. Guido has made it very easy to catch Dolphin. Over the last 15 years at this point, I've made it easy for the solicitor. Uh, I've created a web form so that they can fill out in their own words their name, their email address, their phone number, their contact address, the target's name, address where services are requested, their reason for contacting us, description of what they would like done, Target's email address, Target's Facebook, social media accounts, and any additional information so that they can fill it out in their own words under the HIPAA privacy protection, which there is none. When I receive an email from somebody that has all of that information, I'll then vet it. I'll certainly be able to uh, take a look at the email. I'll go in, 
do a little sleuthing on my side, see if they're connected on Facebook or social media or how they might be connected. Is it a bad business deal? Is it a relationship? And I'll start gathering the information that way. In the meantime, I send out an email to uh, the solicitor and I'll ask two very simple questions. Do you still require our services? And would you like me to put you in contact with the field operative? (laughs) <laughs> this is their their chance to back out at this point. But sadly, there have been dozens of slow-witted people caught up in Guido's net. Back when we chatted, there was a 51-year-old woman from Michigan named Wendy who filled out all the forms because she wanted to have her ex-husband whacked. The email even ended with a salutation of, I'd prefer not going to jail. Thank you for your time. How does Guido deal with the positive responses? If they respond with yes, put me in contact with the field operative, I uh, feel it's my duty at this point to uh, go ahead and make sure that they uh, get that field operative consultation. In Wendy's particular case, she chose to meet with a uh, field operative. Who obviously was an undercover agent. Oh, yes, I forgot. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so the field operatives I deploy, you might say, are uh, law enforcement. With the popularity of this website and stories like Wendy's now out there, are you still getting requests for hitmen? Absolutely. In fact, you might say business is booming. Since Wendy's request, I have had several other cases that have uh, people looking for services that I I clearly don't offer. So despite the media attention that this has gotten, emails are still being received from people. And as I used to say in my early days of radio, the hits just keep on coming. You can Google the cases that have come up. They seem to go on and on and on. Just a few months ago, an applicant looking for work as a hitman himself boasted of military experience and rifle expertise, and when asked, responded with his resume, photo, and a copy of his identification. Turns out he was a 21-year-old Air National Guardsman from Nashville, Tennessee. We'll only mention his first name here. It was Josiah. And he was very eager to work, offering to cut off fingers or ears as trophies and even torturing victims before killing them. He's been arrested. Which brings us to the question of what happens if someone wants to turn their sights toward Guido? Yeah, you know, I have to be cognizant uh, of the dangers that are out there. And yes, there are dangerous people. My whole position in this is these people sought out the website. I didn't seek them out. I gave everybody an out. They didn't have to respond to my email. Those that want free consultation, I'll certainly be able to be that matchmaker. I'll make sure that they get it. There are a lot of dangerous people that are out there. I'm not one that lives in fear, though. This is a $9.20 website that has, at this point, prevented over 140 murders, school shootings, child trafficking, other crimes against children. It's become my personal mission to see that I'm helping people that may never even know that they were in danger in the first place. A very altruistic man whose website started out as a joke. If you want to be in on the joke, you can visit rentahitman.com. If, on the other hand, you're a dolphin, and you would like someone else to assume room temperature, and you're dumb enough to want to follow through with hiring Guido, just remember the story of Wendy that we told you about. 
She's now serving 7 to 20 years in a state prison. Next time on Business Beyond Bazaar. We'll meet a man who climbed a 14,115-foot Colorado mountain on his hands and knees, all while pushing a peanut up the slope with his nose. Yes, a peak performance by a peanut-pushing proboscis. And you'll meet a Guinness World Record holder who visited Disneyland every day for 2,995 consecutive days. Wow, you've really got to be happy to visit the happiest place on Earth every day for that long. That could almost make you goofy. This has been Business Beyond Bazaar, a presentation of Flying Fish Communications and Group Fair Play.